Hey Ramp Church, so glad you're joining us online this Sunday. Now this is the second part of a brand new series here at Ramp Church and the title of the series is Peace and we're exploring how to find God in times of chaos. So I'm really excited to invite you into this journey. Wherever you're at, I'm sure all of us can relate to uh, the idea of a season of chaos and it, it definitely marks all, uh, all of us in this season. And so I think wherever you're at in your faith journey, I think you can get something out of this message. Now, if you weren't with us last week, I want to encourage you, go back and watch that message. It's really going to help you kind of understand when this message is over, maybe you can just go back and and view it on demand. Um, But it's really going to help you understand the starting point uh, that we're picking up on in this message. And there are almost two parts of the same message. Now, next week, uh, Pastor Stacy is going to be going to be speaking on in this same series, the same collection of messages on peace. So I want to encourage you join us again next week. But let's uh, let's pick up where we left off last time. Now, last message we dove into an invitation that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter eleven, and He was inviting us to come to Him if we're weary, if we feel that we're burdened, and that we can find rest in him. And so we talked about what it looks like to come to him and to take what he wants to give us and then to learn from him and then to find rest in him. And it's amazing the promises he has that he's going to lead us to a place of soul refreshing and soul rest. So kind of building on top of that idea, I want to dive into a concept that, that I introduced last week, and it's about patterns. And we introduced the idea that maybe it's not just our desires or our beliefs that are keeping us from everything God would want for us. Maybe it's our pattern of life. And so we're going to dive deeper into some of those patterns today. And so you're going to leave this message with some really practical ways that you can not just just believe in God, but actually learn how to form your life around His design to find flourishing and health and thriving. Aren't those words that all of us would love to describe our life as, that I'm flourishing, I'm thriving, I'm healthy? Well, I think at the end of this message, you're going to have some of the keys that can help lead you that direction. But So the, the, the title of this message is this. It's Patterns for Rest and Renewal. Anybody just want to sink into that phrase, right? That I want, I want to know a pattern of rest and renewal. And I love this passage. So let's look at this verse right here. Uh, Paul writes um, to the church that he leads in the city of Ephesus, and he says this in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, you were taught, and what he's saying is when I came to you, here's, here's what I taught you, with regard to your former way of life, your former, we could, we could also say this, your former pattern, that you have a way of life. We talked about this last week. There's a pattern that you're living in. You were taught with regard to that former pattern to put off your old self, your old nature, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. We're going to unpack that a bit uh, uh, in a little while. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. That word attitude is so neat that he put that in there. The environment of your mind, that your mind actually has an atmosphere. It has an environment. Think about 
um, the environment like in a home on a, on a Christmas morning or what you would imagine that to be like in, in a storybook or in, in, in a movie. There's just something about that environment. You don't just know factually that it's, that it's Christmas. It feels like Christmas. It feels exciting. It feels alive. That's the attitude, the attitude of your mind. And to put on the new self, the new nature created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And I want to tell you, God, the invitation that, that God is giving to you is to actually find a new nature. It's not just to, to have church attendance, although I'm really glad you're here. I think it's, it's important to be connected to church, whether your church is Ramp Church or another congregation. I think there is a, there's, a, there's a faith family for you. And to be involved in the, in the chat online, to message people, and, and I think that's really important. But the invitation, first and foremost, is not an invitation to, to, to do Christian-y things. It's an invitation to find new life, that God wants to actually give you a new nature. And Paul, Paul is saying that that, that change is, is so profound that he is actually saying it's like having two different selves. You have an old nature and then a brand new one. Jesus would say in John chapter 3 that unless, uh, unless someone's born again, they can't enter the kingdom of God. They can't even see the kingdom of God, he says in his conversation with Nicodemus. So, so there is a new nature available to you. I know that's mysterious. It sounds mystical. But it really comes by deciding not to live life me-centered but live it God-centered. And once it becomes the center of your life, he grants you a new nature. But it's not just a new nature. There's also a pattern of life that God wants to teach us. And that's what this message is about is, ooh, I have a new nature, but I also want a, a pattern. But we interact with this truth in different ways. And there are three ways I want to I talk to you about. Sometimes we want a new pattern, but we don't want a new creation. We don't want to change the way we relate to God. And, and, and that's this. You can have your old nature with a new pattern. You can have your old nature and try a new pattern. And that, that's why uh, the, the, the self-help section at Waterstones Bookstore is full and crammed, and thousands of titles are coming out every month. What is that? We don't want to change your nature. We just want to help you get new patterns in life. So, that's where the self-help movement comes from. It's trying to teach you a new way to do life, but it doesn't really deal with what's deep on the inside. It doesn't deal with your nature. To be honest, that's where religion comes from as well. So religious ritual, some of us may be connected to a church. Maybe you're a part of Ramp Church. And for you, you're, you're just going through the motions. It's just an exterior pattern. I want to tell you, you'll never find a new nature by just finding a new pattern. That's why all of us try to change our life from the outside in. We try new habits and we're thinking it's going to change everything about us. I'm going to wake up early. Oh, yes, I'm going to wake up early. It's going to change my whole life. And that lasts, what, a couple weeks. And then we're like, no, I'm just tired. <laughs> That's all I am. I'm just tired. Or we're going to, we try new habits of interacting with people and, um, and th maybe they stick for a little while. Or maybe you do adopt the new habit. You're like, yes, I'm now a morning person. But down deep, you're like, that didn't really change a whole lot. It changed some things. What, what is that? You still have the old nature. You're just trying a new pattern. You're just trying a new pattern on top of it. That's not the invitation God's given us. Some of us, though, we have said yes to God. We have dedicated our life to Jesus. There is a new nature that's, that's working on the inside of us, and so this is our reality. You can also have a new nature, but you can still be in an old pattern. You can have a pattern of life that is 
that is, that is from your old man, and this is what Paul's talking about in, in, in his letter to, to Ephesus that we just read. But, but you have that new nature. What does that mean? You can sense the life of God working on the inside of you. You can sense that there's something that the Holy Spirit is doing on the inside, but you seem stuck in your spiritual journey. You, you seem like, ah, I just, there, there's got to be more than this in God. There's got to be more than church attendance, and I'm home group, and I'm giving, and there's just something that I'm missing. Maybe you're stuck in an old pattern, an old way of life, as, as Paul said in Ephesus. Um, but you still have that new nature. I want to tell you, you can break out of that. You can find the potential that your new nature has, and it's not just going to come by trying harder. It's actually going to come by changing the way you're living. And, and it's this. It's found right here. You can have your new nature with a new pattern. This is where the life of God is transforming you from the inside out. This is where your life has room for God to speak. Your internal world comes into alignment with God's reality, and it lines up everything on the outside. This, is, this puts you on the path to be with Him, to be like Him, and to do what He does. And this isn't just things I've made up. This is actually in Scripture. It, it talks about this. Look at this in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone's in Christ, we talked about that last week, the invitation is for you to come and be with Jesus, to abide in Him. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You have an invitation to, that, that you don't have to fake it until you make it. You don't, have to, you don't have to battle with those old desires anymore that when you start a relationship with God, new life is birthed on the inside of you. And sometimes it's a process to get that new life out. But if, if, if you just try it without the new life being birthed, it's futile. But once you have that new life on the inside of you, you can then learn how to build your life around it. Look at this in Romans 12. We read this last week, but it's such an important verse and a principle to understand. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. You have a pattern, but God wants to teach you a new pattern, and it's based on your new nature. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, when I grew up, I play different sports, but my dad was a golfer. So from as young as I can remember, he carted me around a golf course with him. And I had this little tiny golf bag with like tiny little golf clubs. There were like three or, three or four in them. And wherever he would hit his ball, he would just drop, drop a ball for me next to it. And I would just kind of, you know, take swings at it. And so then I was in golf teams growing up and I was on the golf course a lot. And if there are any golfers out there, you can relate Golf is not an easy sport. It is a hard, complicated sport to, 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 to do well at. But I'll tell you this, the concepts behind it are simple. You have a club, you have a ball, you hit the ball. That's pretty much it. But the problem is getting, getting what I know about the proper golf swing, and I used to subscribe to golf magazines and try to figure this out and watch golf. On, but the, 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 the issue is getting what I know about a, a good golf swing into my hands that my body actually reflects the go- my body actually reflects what i know to be the case and th- really golf is about getting my knowledge into my muscles into my muscle memory and i want to tell you following jesus is a lot like that once your mind gets renewed and restored 
according to God's new nature on the inside of you. It's about getting that knowledge into every facet of your life. That when you see people that, when you see the great golfers, they're not thinking about every bit of their swing because it's taken them years to get that knowledge into their muscle memory. So then they just tweak tiny things every swing if they want the, if they want the ball to draw or to fade, if, if they, how, they want the, how they want it to bounce, whatever they want it to do, they just know tiny tweaks in their grip or in their stance are going to do that. But it all started with, I know what I need to do, but practice over time, training over time, gets that from just a knowledge into, into my muscles, that every time I swing, my body just knows what to do. I want to tell you, in your Christian walk, when you get in tune with the new nature that God's given you, you'll learn a new pattern, just like a new swing. That you'll swing at the same ball with the same club, but life just seems to be a bit easier. What are those patterns that we can learn? That's what we're going to talk about in this message. And so we're going to talk about three patterns that Jesus modeled in his own life, and it's modeled all throughout the New Testament, that I want to invite all of us in Ramp Church, the Ramp Church community, and all of, all of you watching into some of these patterns. And those, the three things I want to talk about today are silence, solitude, and Sabbath. Silence, solitude, and Sabbath. Now, before you turn off, because you're like, the last thing I want to hear about is being alone or silent in this season. I want to tell you, these are going to be some things that I really feel like are going to impact you. But these, these principles are really about all of these. Before I get into them, they're really about stopping. That's what, that's what all these are about. Part of the pattern that I want you to start to employ in your life, and this really picks up off where we left off last week, is learning how to stop in your life. And this is what's amazing about stopping. Look at this principle about stopping. From a stopped position, I get a better view of everything around me. When we never stop, we lose sight of reality. Have you ever felt like you're just in the rat race? Just in the rat race. Uh, when I first started driving, so I first started driving um, in America, so I was 16, uh, I had this old, this old pickup truck. Uh, that I was driving. And um, I was out, I was playing music somewhere with this old pickup truck, and I ran a stop sign. And this was my first, my first traffic ticket as a driver. So I, ran, I run the stop sign. I was kind of in an industrial estate, so I'm thinking, oh, it's all right, I just run a stop sign. So I run, I run a stop sign, and the next thing I see is police lights on behind me. Somehow, he was in the industrial state. He sees me. So I pull over, 16 years old. I'm so terrified because a police officer is walking up to my car. I pull over. That I pull my driver's license out, and I'm so terrified that he comes up to the window, and he's standing there, and I don't even open the window. I'm just, I'm just like terrified like this. <laughs> I'm looking up, and he's staring there, and, he's, and he looks at me. He goes like this. He's like, like you're going to roll down the window? Back in the days when there were crank windows. I'm aging myself here, guys. So I crank, I crank the window down, and I'm just like shaking. I hand him, I hand him the, uh, the, my driver's license, and he does give me a ticket. Why? Because I coasted through the stop sign when I shouldn't have. But why do they make you stop in traffic in, in times like that? Because, because if you keep moving, you, you can't really see what's around you. And it's not until you stop that you really start to sense reality. Actually, I think some of us never stop in life because we're scared about what we're going to see if we stop. 
We're scared about the realities that we're going to find. We're scared about maybe what will happen. If I stop, regrets flood my mind. If I stop uh, my failures, I remember all my failures. If I stop, I'm, I'm just flooded with, with, all, with what I said yesterday to, to my kids that I shouldn't have said or, or that time I, I just dropped that ball at the office and lost that promotion. If I stop, if I leave silence, it's going to be filled with all these, these, these awful things. Or sometimes I think we don't stop because we're scared about what, what maybe won't happen. I mean, last time I stopped, God didn't show up. You know, I prayed and he wasn't there and I didn't sense his presence. Or I'm, I stop and I think, wow, man, you know, maybe it's not going to be worth it for me to take this time. I'm going to tell you, I believe I'm going to show you some of these patterns, these life patterns, and they are actually going to lead you to a place where you can find God in that space. From a stop position, I get a better view of everything around me and I can see reality for what it is. But So why don't we stop? Why don't we Stop. Uh, I love this quote from Andrew Sullivan, who, who is a, he's, a, he's a secular writer. He's, he's, as far as I know, he's not a believer. And he wrote this in New York Magazine. And the, the title of his article was, I Used to Be Human. And he's responding to what he calls distraction sickness. Look at this. This is some of the reasons I think we don't stop. There are books to be read, landscapes to be walked, friends to be with, life to be fully lived. Anybody feel that way? There's like so much to do that I just need to, I just need to do it all and I can never stop. This new epidemic of distraction, isn't that, isn't that such an insightful phrase, an epidemic of distraction? And our civilization is our civilization's specific weakness. And its, its threat is not so much to our minds, even as they shape shift under pressure. The threat is to our souls. Remember we talked about soul rest last week. At this rate, if the noise does not relent, we might even forget we have any. We forget we have a soul at all. I think that identifies where we're at. We just keep going, 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 going. So what? We lose sense of reality. We lose sense that there is an internal world that I need to steward over. There's, I, I'm also reminded in this topic of, of an ancient king in Israel called Solomon. And Solomon was at the pinnacle of Israel's success, ancient Israel's success, uh, he, had, he had incredible palaces, temple, wealth, um, wisdom. He was a poet. He wrote wisdom literature. He had uh, really everything su- successful that he went after. And he wrote a wild book called Ecclesiastes that's in the Old Testament. It's a lot of wisdom literature mixed with poetry. And um, he investigates some of what I, what I feel like uh, are going to help us in, in discovering why don't we ever stop. Look what he says here in, in Ecclesiastes chapter number one. What do people get from all their hard work under the sun? What does it mean by under the sun? Here on earth. What do we get from all this hard work? Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. What is it, what's he trying to say? We're always putting in, but it just never seems enough. Just never enough. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're never content. Solomon's speaking to this. And this is what I, this is the principle I think he's trying to get to right here. Your desires are outpacing your life. I want to tell you, you want more than you're able to acquire in this life. Your desires are leading you to something this life could never satisfy. You just want and want and want. All of us do. I do too. We just want. We want more, 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 more. More is never satisfied. But I want to tell you, this isn't such a bad thing as it looks on face value. And Solomon tells us why. Go a few chapters later. Look at this. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Solomon actually calls this a burden, this desire for more. I've seen the burden God has placed on all of us. Some, Some translations say humanity. I've seen the burden God's placed on 
humanity. He's planted eternity in the human heart. Do you know why you want more? It's because God put that there. He put eternity on the inside. That the desire for more is actually not a bad thing. The desire for more is the craving for eternity on the inside. The problem is not the degree of your desire. Now, that may sound weird coming from a church leader because we so often we think, when I go to church, the thing they're going to really teach me to do is say no to bad things. And I want to tell you, look at this. This is a principle. This is so important for us to understand. Christianity isn't about repressing your desires. It's about redirecting your desires. The goal here is not saying, oh my goodness, you have too much desire. Actually, I love this quote from C.S. Lewis, and if you've been around the rant for a while, you probably heard me read this before, and the reason is because it's so good. C.S. Lewis teaches this in his sermon called The Weight of Glory. Look at this. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, he's talking about the Bible. What is he saying? If we talk about the, the amazing promises that the Gospel has for us, if we talk about the eternity that it promises for us, it would seem that our Lord finds out our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. Then Lewis says this, we are far too easily pleased. It's not the degree of your desire. It's where you're pointing it at. And this is, this, is, this is why this matters. Look at this. Look at this principle. Because only an eternal source can fill an eternal desire. You have a desire in you. God put it there. He, he stamped eternity on your hearts. But something worldly can't fill an eternal need. Only an eternal source can do that. So we all have desires, and part of this craving that we have on the inside is we want more, 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 more. Why do you want that? Because you were made for more. You were designed for more. The problem is this earth can't have any more. It can't offer you any more. Only an eternal source can do that. Uh, the, the first six chapters of Ecclesiastes, Solomon just goes on talking about the, van the vanity of seeking things in the world. And he says this phrase over and over, don't it's like chasing the wind. It's like chasing the wind. It's like chasing the wind. It's such, a, it's such a wild phrase. And he talks about chasing the wind in our work, chasing the wind in our relationships, chasing the wind in, in religion. And he talks about all these things where we're chasing the wind. And, and it's built into that phrase, isn't it? You'll never catch the wind. But what you can do is you can harness the wind. You can take that, you can take that desire and you can take what, what God's meant to meet it and you can, you can meet those two worlds together. And that for, for us, Ramp Church, I feel like is, can be found in a new life pattern, what I'm calling a life pattern. And the three I want to talk to you about today are this right here. I want to talk to you about silence, solitude, and Sabbath. Silence, solitude, and Sabbath. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into these three separately, and then I'm going to tie it up at the end. So there are really two things that need regular stop signs in our life, and you don't need to roll through these. And if you do, uh, it'll catch up to you. And that's external things and internal things. 
There's an external world that's moving so quickly, but there's an internal world that's moving so quickly as well. And these three life patterns are about separating myself. They're about stopping the external noise so I can then quiet the internal noise. They're about stopping the external noise so I can quiet the internal noise. And that's why, we, that's why we're even looking at silence, solitude, and Sabbath. So let's, let's dive into part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and look at this in Matthew chapter 6 when he's explaining a couple of these. Um, and then we're going to talk about Sabbath and end with some of the, the amazing joy that God has for us. Look at this, Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites. I, I get that. As a church leader, I, you know, people put that word to me all the time. The reason I don't come to church is because of all those hypocrites. I want to tell you, Jesus, the founder and leader of the church, had just as much issues with hypocrites as you do. Um, the, don't, don't miss Jesus by the actions of his followers. And maybe you're in that place today where you've just stumbled upon Ramp Church. Um, I want to tell you, there's, there is true life here, and it's found in Jesus. So when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And Jesus says, I'll tell you, they've received their reward. It's being seen. That's their reward. Look at the next part of, of this verse. But when you pray, don't be hypocrite, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And this tells us about two things. Um, and I'm going to take these two phrases, into your room and shut the door. And the first one we're going to talk about is go into your room. And that is this, that is solitude. Jesus is inviting us into a place of solitude. And the framework I want to give you for this is Genesis chapter 1. We've gone back here really the past couple of weeks. We've talked about Genesis chapter 1. And it's a beautiful poem about, about Jesus, uh, excuse me, about God creating the world. And we see at the end of every day, God would say about his creation, it is good. And then he would say the next day, he'd create, it is good. He looked at everything he created that day and said, it is good. And our, our daily solitude times, and that's what I want to recommend to you, have some daily solitude times. It is about going into your room by yourself. And what are you doing? You're, you're, you're finding satisfaction in God. You're, you're able to say with God, it is good good. If you go back and listen to last week's message, we talked about the power of being finished. It is finished and finding satisfaction and rest in that place. That's what this practice, that's what this pattern, life pattern is about. It's coming away from the noise. It's coming away from my house. And I know you're going, Joe, we're in quarantine. The last thing I can find is solitude right now. I want to tell you, we have three kids. I, it is not easy. So what do I do? I make sure that that I'm up before everybody else because that's the only time I can control. I can't control uh, any other time of the day, but what I can control is I can make sure I'm awake when you're asleep. And I'll tell you, it's worth it just to find some solitude. You go into your room. Some, some of you, what you need in this season to really find God is this solitude place. And I love the verse that we just read in Matthew chapter 6 because this was the promise. The promise is if you go into your room, and if, if, you, if you turn down the noise, if you shut the door, then you're, you're not just going to pray. You're not just going to do a Christian thing called prayer, but you're going to find the Father because he is in secret. I want to tell you, what is the reward that Matthew chapter 6 is promise, promising us? It's not the answer to your prayers, although that will happen. The reward is that God is there. 
So many people in this season, the season of chaos, are looking for God. Where is he? Jesus just told us in Matthew chapter 6, he's in the secret place. He's in the place of solitude. If you're looking for him, where can he be found? He's there. Go into your room. And that leads us into the next place. So there's solitude. But here's the next thing that I want to encourage you in. And it's silence. Shut the door. So you know what doesn't need to come in your room with you? Your phone. That needs to stay outside the room. Anything that would distract you. So this is where you, this is where you have silence. Silence. And look at this. This is, this is the important principle. Look at this next principle. Silence and solitude cut off external noise so you can quiet the internal noise. They cut off the external so you can quiet the internal noise. And look at this. This is what happens when you find that place of silence and so solitude. This is where you begin to think the thoughts of God. When your external world quiets, when your internal world quiets, remember this series is all about finding peace in the midst of maybe chaos around you. You can find God. You can find that place of peace. And what is that place of peace found? It's found when your internal world aligns with his reality. When you start to think the thoughts of God. Now, let me tell you some of the thoughts of God about you. Scripture tells us. They're not a mystery. Look at this in Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts I think towards you. God's saying this to you. He knows the thoughts he thinks towards you. They're thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Look at Psalms 139. And those thoughts, all those amazing thoughts that he's thinking about you, how precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? They cannot be numbered. Those thoughts are in abundance. But it's only in silence and solitude when we, when we put margin in our day, when we put margin in our time, when we create a new life pattern that we can get in tune with the things that God is thinking about us. Look at this in Matthew chapter 10. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, knowing. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. I want to tell you, when you get into the place of silence and solitude, and Christians for, all throughout history have called this spiritual disciplines, and I'm calling them now spiritual patterns or life patterns, where you can start to make room to get for your world to get into alignment with his. So we have silence, we have solitude, and, and, and here's another one. Look at this one. Sabbath. And I'm pulling this phrase from, from, uh, from Genesis chapter 2. And uh, Genesis chapter 2 is at the end of, uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is at the end of all God's creation, where at the end of every day, God said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And he looked back at what he'd done that day. And that, in, a, in essence, is kind of your daily check-in with God. What does that silence and solitude time look like for me and, and, and so many others? It just means I kind of start my day with some time where I'm just me and God. Some of you, that's going to happen on a run. Some of you, that can happen just sitting on the couch with a cup of coffee. And it's just where you start to get your soul tuned to Him. It starts to where the noise quiets down. You can, you, you can put some word time where you're reading the Bible in there. You can read some, some books by Christian authors, devotionals, whatever they may be, but whatever gets your soul tuned to him. And when you start to create that space, you start to get satisfied in God. And when you find satisfaction in him, nothing else can fill that void because he is enough. But then there's also, I want to suggest to you, not just a daily rhythm, but at the end of his week, we find God at the end of all of creation. Um, he rests for an entire day. Now, now, we know God wasn't tired. It's not like he's exhausted. It's not like he's worn out and he's sweating. and He's like, ooh, I need, a, I need some rest from that. No, he's looking back on, on all that he made, and he says this, it was very good. He looks back and says, 
man, I am so satisfied in what I created. And I want to I want to encourage you one day a week that you take and you set aside. Now, this this word Sabbath is really a Bible-y word, um, and it was originally given to Israel, to the people of Israel, God's God's people in the Old Testament, to 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 have a time every week to recognize who your true source is and to get in tune with God and to prepare for the work that you have ahead of you. But one of the most beautiful things that I think in in the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2 is that God creates Adam and Eve and the first day of, he creates them on the sixth day, which means the first day of their life was a day of rest. He didn't, he didn't say, okay, day one, you know, nose to the grindstone, get it done. I have a lot of Christian work for you to do. No, his whole thing is uh, the first day you're alive, I want to walk with you. I want to connect with you. I want it to be a day of rest so that everything you do from here on out comes from a place of rest. Sabbath, it was very good. So I want to encourage you, some of you need to need to have a, a full day where you turn off the devices, you, you separate yourself from the noise around you, the constant drive, the constant technology, and, and you set you set apart time. And some of you, maybe, you're, maybe even in this season, you're a frontline worker and you're like, I don't have a day a week. Well, set aside some time, a block of time where you Sabbath, you stop. That's, really, that's literally what this word means. It means to stop. And, uh, and, and you set aside time to connect with God. So um, for us, connecting with God is about tapping in to that eternal place. And it, it really is about, about connecting to who God's called us to be. But let's, let's look at this principle right here. And this is where I'm going to spend the rest of this message. Life patterns help you step out of the storyline of culture and into the storyline of God. It's really about what God's saying about you. Life patterns help you step out of the storyline of culture and into the storyline of God. So I want to talk about different storylines of culture that God's inviting you to step out of. And then the storyline, what God says about that, that he's inviting you to step into, and then we're going to pray. So we're going to move through these pretty quickly. So the first, the first storyline that's happening all around us is culture around us tells us that performance determines your prosperity. And this, this is that internal narrative says this failure would be the end of, of who I am. There's a fear of failure. And you've connected your prosperity in life to the way you perform. And that, that narrative is all around us. And it's amazing how, how finding these patterns, solitude, how finding silence, finding Sabbath, allows us to step out of that storyline and step into this storyline. Because God doesn't say your performance determines your prosperity. He says that your pattern determines your prosperity. God defines your success. God defines your success. What if your success wasn't just measured by what other people thought about you, by what you think about you, but it was measured by what God said about you? It can be that way. And a new life pattern puts you in a space where you can hear that storyline from God. Let's look at another cultural storyline. Culture says, I am what I do. I will never measure up is the internal narrative of that. I am what I do. You find identity. Some of you watching, you find identity in what you do. Like if your job left tomorrow, you wouldn't even know who you were anymore. You lose identity. And for some of you, even in this season, you've lost your job. And maybe that's the struggle. It's not as much financial as it is, I don't even know who I am anymore. Well, you've believed this lie. You believe what culture said about you. I am what I do. But this, when, when you put... When you put um, silence and solitude and Sabbath in your life, you can start to hear this storyline. I am who God says I am. God paid the ultimate price for me. 
Uh, years ago, before we moved to the UK, Stacy and I bought a house. And if you if you purchased a house, you know the process. When you when you go to a lender to help you with financing for the house, they're going to send somebody to appraise the value of that home. And the reason they do that is because the bank is not going to lend you money that's more than the worth of the house, right? They're, they're not going to give you more in case you stop making payments that they, they can sell it and, and get their money out of it. But the, the beautiful thing about this journey with God is that the New Testament says that you are not your own. God has bought you with a price. And you, through your performance, through, through, through what you're doing, the culture's trying to tell us that is your worth. But you can't determine, just like with a house, unless you're a house appraiser, you can't determine your worth. And God can. He's your creator. And the way he determines your worth is by what he's willing to pay for you. And we know from the New Testament that what he was willing to pay for you is the very life of his son. So your worth is determined by the price God paid for you. God determines your worth, not what you do. Look, at here's another cultural song that we can step out of, a cultural storyline. I work to satisfy God. Some of you are in the place where you're, maybe you've even started a relationship with God, but everything you do is driving that idea of I've got to make God happy. I've got to please God. I've, you know, I, I can't mess up because he's going to get angry or I've got to do good things so he likes me more. And the culture is saying, I don't deserve God's love. That's what the religious culture around you is saying. But when you, when you separate yourself in the time of silence and solitude and Sabbath, you can start to hear God's storyline, which is this. God says over you, I work because God's already satisfied. He delights in me, that everything you do for him comes from that place of knowing he has said yes to you already. That Sabbath is an act of delight. You know that you're wanted. You know that you're needed in the kingdom. And everything you do for him comes out of that. So here's another, here's another storyline that culture around us tells us, external then internal. And you're always comparing your externals to what somebody else has. And you're putting all your internal needs, all your soul needs on pause while you're acquiring all this stuff on the outside. And for some reason, we think that that's going to fulfill something on the inside. But God's song over us always starts on the inside, internal then external. God will vindicate my faith. And that is, I don't have to keep up with the people around me. I don't have to have the appearance of of being successful. I know that if I have faith in God, he's going to vindicate that faith. He's going to pay off. And right now, it may not look like on the outside that God is for me. But my my faith is going to pay off in the end because God is always faithful to those that have faith in him. And this is the last last cultural storyline that that we can step out of that I want to talk about today. I get ahead by working more. This is such a cultural storyline around us. I get ahead in life by, by going the extra mile. I get ahead in life by doing more than the people around me. And this is the narrative on the inside. It's up to me to make this happen. Everything in my life is up to me. And some of us, that's just such a sign of control. Wherever I go in life, it's just control, it's control, it's control. But this is God's storyline. We separate ourselves from the noise. We can hear this storyline. I flourish by working God's way. That you actually flourish when you adopt his pattern for life in that my trust gives God room to work. And you know what? You know what ultimately Sabbath and silence and solitude is about? It's about declaring to yourself and to God, I trust God. I trust God that when I do things God's way, it gives him room to work. 
And some of you, you don't see God evident in your life. It's because you're, everything you're, you're living in right now is it's a result of your own efforts. And what would happen if your life pattern slows down, you leave room and margin for Him to work? I know it's going to happen. He's going he's gonna to fulfill His promises towards you, and you're going to start to flourish. You're going to start to find health in the middle of whatever season you're in. So here's the question that I'm going to close with. How do we rest? How do we rest? And my encouragement to you is, is two ways. And I know this is really practical, but like we talked about last week, this is about getting the way of Jesus into our everyday life. And there's two things I want to encourage you in. I want to encourage you to a daily stop, a daily stop, a daily discipline of before the day starts, or maybe for some of you it's after the day ends. You are, you're making time to get in alignment with God. You're setting time aside to pray. You're setting time aside to read the word, to meditate, to memorize scripture, to to remind yourself of what God said about you, but also a weekly time. I think this is gonna transform even some families that are watching where you've, you've, you've lived distracted or you've lived just from work to work to work to work to work. What happens when you set aside a day where you're just gonna celebrate the week before uh, you're going to celebrate. You're going to look forward to the week, to the next week, and you're going to focus on relational time and investment in one another, and then your connection with God. So I want a daily and weekly. And first, I want you to commit to to, to rest. It's what I'm asking you to do, Ramp Church. Now, those of you watching, I want you to to this to be a, a personal commitment. Commit to rest. What's keeping you right now from resting? What's keeping you from resting? Watch last week's message, and I think that's going to even show you some of the things that may be keeping you from resting. But it's time to commit to rest. Number two, I want you to balance your rest. So in your rest time, you need to have some hobbies in there. So if maybe your day job is working with your hands, you probably need to do some, some mental work, some reading. If your day job is maybe mental work, you may need to work with hands. Get out in the garden. Those sorts of hobbies help us re- refresh our soul. That's, I love the word recreation because it is literally to recreate. You're creating again. And some of you need to find some recreational stuff to do. You're recreating your, your soul from the inside out for the next week. You need to worship. There needs to be a holy aspect to this day um, where you're setting it aside for God's use and for his use alone. And then there needs to be some inactivity. Uh, I know I got some amens for that one where you're just sitting on the couch, staring at the wall. And uh, there needs to be some of that. And so I want to encourage you, you commit to rest, but you also balance your rest. And then number three, stay accountable to rest. This is a huge one, especially for those type A's that are watching here. Um, if, if, you're, if you're super driven, you need somebody to keep you accountable to rest. I need this. This is one of the biggest things I need in my life. And my mentors help me with this. My wife helps me with this to go, hey, you're going too hard. You're going too much. You need to be accountable to rest. Number four, you need to work hard before you rest. There's some of you that are like, yes, this is the message of my life, but you're not working at all. There's just laziness involved. If there's rest without work, that's lazy. But if there's work without rest, that's, that's a type of slavery to, 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 to work. And you need to, you, you can only work well when you're rested. You can only rest well when you've worked. So you need to work well. So when you rest, you can find satisfaction in what you've done, and then you can recharge for the week ahead. And then number five, I want you to practice rest in your work. What does that mean? You need to have margin. You need to have margin. Uh, it's a, a kind of an obscure story in the Old Testament is when Jesus, uh, excuse me, when God is instructing the people of Israel on how to farm. 
And he tells, this is in the book of Leviticus, he tells the farmers, don't, he's, sow your entire field with seed, but, but leave, a, leave a space, a margin, all around the edges where you don't harvest. So the whole field is sown, the whole field grows, but you only harvest on the inside. And that outside is available for, for travelers, it's available for foreigners who, who are living with you, and it's, it's available for people just to come by and, and pick whatever they want. And it's so wild, that story stuck, has always stuck out to me. And then I thought, what, what's the principle beneath that? It, it, the principle is this, you need margin in your life. You shouldn't be reaping everywhere you're sowing. And you go, whoa, that's wild, I'm working there, I, I deserve that. Actually, maybe that's for somebody else. Why are you, why are you reaping all the way to your margins? You don't need to. Some of that's for other people. And why some of us have made commitments. Maybe it's financial commitments. Maybe you're in a house that the house payment is so huge that it takes everything in your life to just pay for it. You need margin in your life. You need to practice rest in work. So have margin throughout every day, every week, where you're not living all the way to the extent of what you're doing. You're not maxed out. Now, you know... The amazing thing about all of these principles is that it's not about just learning a new way to live. It's, it's about following Jesus. That's ultimately the invitation. It's to come, to be with him, to learn to do life the way he does it so that we can get the results that he gets out of life. And I, I just want to encourage you to stick around for this whole series, this whole collection of teachings about peace, about finding God in the, in the midst of this crazy season. And, uh, and I'm so glad you're here for the journey. But I want to hear from you this week. How is this new life pattern doing in your life? How is it refreshing you? We want to hear the testimonies from you on how God's using it to align your internal world. And this is what I'm imagining for your life and for my life. What's it going to look like in our families, in our relationships, when I'm not reacting to everything around me, but I'm centered, I'm healthy, uh, I, I can respond out of grace and love. I'm not hurried. I'm not rushed. I can look people in the eye. I can listen. All that comes from a place of rest. What, what happens when my whole internal world, can you imagine when the thoughts that you have about yourself are aligned with the thoughts that God has about you? I'll tell you what's going to happen. Everything in your life is going to be transformed from the inside out. Let's go on this journey. 